Hello, I'm Bruce McGeckin and this is the Curious Kiwi Capitalist Podcast. My guest for this show is Alexander Simmons. Alex is the founder of Voyager Equity, a search fund. Search funds are completely new to New Zealand, with no funds yet launched, but with some interest from Kiwi searchers overseas. In Australia, they've gained traction in the last couple of years with at least two funds successfully acquiring businesses. Alex's fund is the first Australian search fund to get investment for search capital, the traditional first tranche of investment in a search fund. The other two funds self-funded their search and then got acquisition capital, the second tranche of this type of investment. I have to admit I'm very intrigued with this type of investment fund and have been actively involved with encouraging prospective Kiwi searchers this year. My hope for young searchers and retiring mid-market business owners is that this investment type takes off over the coming decade. In this show, we'll discuss search funds in New Zealand and Australia, including what is a search fund, search and acquisition capital, the search capital step-up and Stanford terms, search fund investors, research on search fund returns, searcher vesting of shares, search funds versus private equity funds, the investment parameters of search funds, what prospective searchers ask Alex the most, and search fund accelerators and business schools, amongst other topics. Alexander Simmons founded Voyager Equity earlier in the year, and it's the first search fund that has raised search capital in Australasia. Others have raised acquisition capital and achievement in its own right, but no one till Alex had raised the first part of a traditional search fund. This makes Alex a real trailblazer in Australasian search funds. Alex is English. He started his career at Bestport Ventures, a UK private equity firm. He moved to Australia where he worked for Partners in Performance to get hands-on operational experience, including spending some time in New Zealand as well. He started up his search fund this year. He has an MBA from INSEAD and a BA from Oxford. What's a search fund? Morning, morning Bruce. Quite simply, it's a, a vehicle, a company, whereby an individual such as myself um, raises uh, some money from investors. That money essentially pays a modest salary to me and provides some, um, you know, some headroom for expenses mm. while I go for a period of time, typically two, two and a half years, to look for a company to buy. So it's really um, something to facilitate the acquisition of a, a company which would be an existing company that's you know, had a long operational history and, and, and the seller is looking to, to retire or transition out of the business. Mm. And then I would, I would come along and buy it. Yeah, we're, we're sitting here in your offices in, yeah. in George Street in Sydney. Uh, you, you are the first person who's raised search capital, as we call it, in Australasia. Uh, congratulations on, on that. Uh, and that search capital, as you say, pay, pays for your, uh, for your salary, these offices, your travelling expenses... Mm-hmm. Anything else that, that the search capital component of it pays for? Um, yeah, so you've got your basic you know, administrative expenses that you would incur, such as you know, CRM software and, and other software that you might use for analysis and research. Um, 
you've mentioned travel and accommodation. So for visiting companies that, that you know, might be interested in buying, you typically want some cash to have for due diligence. Right. And generally that would be paid for out of the proceeds of the, the deal. So when your investors fund an acquisition, they will actually cover the expenses in that, but you need, you need the cash. Um, for two reasons. One, you might be asked to pay before closing the deal. So say accountants would, would generally want that. Um, but equally, if you, you proceed with a deal which doesn't complete, then you, you're going to owe some people some money. So, um, you know, you need to make them whole. Oh, of course. So we've, you've raised the search capital. You're now certain we'll get it into each of these stages, uh, more soon. Uh, you'll, you'll find a target company. You'll, you'll do your due diligence. You'll, you'll like the company. You'll think it makes good financial sense. And then you'll go back to those investors and others to raise acquisition capital. What, 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 what's that? Um, so those investors um, that have have invested in the first uh, the first stage the search phase, they get the essentially the, the right of first refusal to fund that acquisition. So say I find a company, uh, we all like that. They get the right to fund that. It would generally not then be possible for someone external to fund that if they wish to take the whole deal themselves. In the event that perhaps they fill 80% of it, then someone else can come in and take the rest. So it's designed for them to, to be able to provide the full funding throughout the life of the investment, um, rather than, you know, I don't expect a different group of people, you know, in phase two as opposed to today. Right. The, the, we should get into um, the, the, the general terms, but the, the, <laughs> And we can talk just about uh, st- the, the standard terms. Um, they're called standard Stanford terms, aren't they? The, of, of the step up that uh, the search capital um, investors get mm-hmm. if they then proceed into the acquisition capital. Um, what, what do the general terms suggest of a step up? And what is a step up? I haven't even explained Yeah, that. sure. Um, so, I mean, I guess they are Stanford terms. I mean, you probably wouldn't hear them called that necessarily um, because I think broadly speaking and most of, of search at the moment happens in the US the, the terms are pretty fixed so the standard search terms are, are, are pretty um, so ubiquitous uh, and generally it works uh, works like this an investor will provide that initial capital small amount of capital to fund the the search phase the looking typically you'd have somewhere in the region of Sort of ten to fifteen, maybe twenty investors at that point. Um, some of the U.S. Um, searchers tend to have more. As we've said, they get the preferred right to invest in in the second stage, which would be the the acquisition of a, a target company. For taking the risk in that first phase, so say they write a check for twenty five or fifty thousand today, that will get increased in value by fifty percent. On acquiring a company, so that 50k would get turned into 75k of, of shares in, in in the target company. No, no cash would change hands for that. They've already paid for for that option. Then that gets turned into shares. So it, it's really a drag on the searcher, on the individual, um, on your ultimate you know returns. But that's the compensation that those investors get for taking the the early risk. So. That's what search capital is. Um, it's come back to the search 
uh, process. We've talked about the acquisition capital, uh, well, how, how the, the search capital uh, steps up into acquisition capital and that fresh acquisition capital can come in if, if required. Let's, let's go through the process a bit more. So you've, mm-hmm. you've raised the, the search capital. What did you say to investors? What, how did you explain search to them? And um, yeah, it's a good question. And, and certainly outside of the US and outside of you know, business school graduates, yes. um, this is relatively niche and unknown. Um, now, you know what, what I will say about my investor group is that the vast majority of them have you know, invested in search funds for a long time. So about half of my investors are in the US, right. about a third are in Australia. They were the ones that um, didn't know you know, the search model. They didn't necessarily know me. So that was, you know, there was, there was two parts to, to that. There's an education piece and there's also the, the, the fundraising pitch, the salesy piece, which, yeah. which is more about, you know, selling kind of me and my vision as opposed to the model. Whereas speaking to investors that know search funds very well, that they know the model, they get it. So it's really about, you know, am I a credible person to do this? Yes. Um, so it was, it was actually very, you know, it was, it was tough and interesting at the same time to, to raise the local investment. You know, you've got people who don't know the model, so need to be taught it. I think generally investors see it and they, they like it. It's not an accident that you know, search funds are doing what they're doing at the moment and, and generally um, you know, more and more are popping up outside of the US because it is an attractive investment for, you know, model for the investor. But then you know, the risk of a new model and the risk of an individual that perhaps they don't know or this sounds... You know, some way novel was a challenge. So, I mean, really, you have to sell yourself fundamentally. You're a bit of a trailblazer, really, or a pathfinder trailblazer. Not sure which military analogy is best. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure either is that appropriate. <laughs> it's hard enough finding a good target company at a, a reasonable investment level, but also to raise uh, a search capital under a new model is... is Certainly difficult. So you, you went to them and said, this is what I'm doing, this is what a, a search fund looks like. You, you raised capital from them. What did you talk about in terms of um, the process you'd, you'd follow mm-hmm. and what they should expect out of it at, at the other end? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, and, and very helpfully, there are materials like the Stanford materials on the website that talk about search in all its constituent parts. Um, and I'll put that in the uh, file notes. Yeah, uh, and, the and there's the returns um, studies, which I think happen every two years. So it's quite easy to point to the the metrics and say, here's um, you know what investors in this asset class typically would, would expect. Uh, and the process, and, and this is really driven by searches in the US where the market is quite not saturated, but very well serviced, both from intermediaries with you know, businesses that are, they're selling and people who want to buy them is that they need to be quite differentiated and, 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 and you know, do quite deep analysis on the industries that they want or, or think would be the most um, likely to bear fruit. Uh, and so when you talk to investors about process, because fundamentally what you're coming to them with is a process. Here is a process whereby I'm going to identify a good acquisition and you know, you're going to fund it and we're going to buy it together and I'm going to run it. And so that the process is very much one of you know, developing relationships with intermediaries in part, probably 
you know, 20 to 30% of your time spent doing that. But the vast majority would be picking industries which you think are attractive, that have certain characteristics, which we'll probably get into, identifying companies within those industries and basically approaching the sellers and saying, hey, do you, are you interested in, in you know, striking up a relationship and, and potentially selling your business? And, you know, I liken it to, you know, it's like knocking on doors to go and buy a house, right? You pick a neighborhood that you like and knock on the doors and say, do you want to sell me a house, right? And, <laughs> and that, to a lot of people, is is a very strange notion. I think people are less emotionally tied to their businesses than they are their houses. And, you know, it, it's, it's not as clean a process for them to, to sell their business as it would be a house. It's a very honest process, though. If you look at private equity, they, they have their, uh, their fees that they get from committed capital from the mm-hmm. limited partners. And those fees pay for them to do the same thing. Uh, albeit, I mean, I might throw that over to you. What's, what's the difference between private equity mm-hmm. and search fund? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there is quite a big difference. I used to work in private equity, and uh, we'll probably get into to my story a little bit later on. But what's interesting for me searching is that I'm now interested in pretty much exactly the the deals and the, the businesses that I wouldn't have been interested in before. Um, so if you look at private equity, you know, typically, one, you know, they're looking to assemble a portfolio. So they've been given capital by their LPs. They want to assemble a portfolio that might have some theme or other. It might not, but but generally you're talking four, six, eight companies in that portfolio. Your whole period is, you know, they talk about three to five years. Most funds are 10 years in life. And when you look at search, we're talking about one business. We're talking about me going in and running it. The private equity, usually they don't do that, but some some are more hands-on than others. They sit on the board, but but not. Yeah, and some some do put in operating partners. Generally, right. the bigger ones in the smaller end of the market that is unusual. So I'm going to go in, run this business. It's it's a one-shot thing. I don't get to assemble a portfolio of businesses. I'm going to run one. Private equity would look to assemble a portfolio, and then the, the type of transaction I think is fundamentally quite different. I mean, if you think about. What I'm looking for is that succession. Someone is retiring, they need to pass on their business, they want to realize a sale. Private equity generally wants management in place. Not always, but generally. They'll usually want management with a vision that they can provide capital for. Uh, So unless it's a a trade sale or a PE buy and build, which is really a trade sale of a different name, then there's not going to be huge overlap there. The, the other thing I note is that uh, you have a lot of very high-quality businesses that come on the market that might have an EBITDA of even up to $5 million. And especially in Australia, um, less so in New Zealand where the PE firms are a bit smaller, they're just, they're just not interested. You've got a quality, mature business there that, that uh, is, is uh, proven itself through the high level of EBITDA and um, it can't include financial buyers in its, in its buyers list. That's why I think search funds are an exciting addition to the the landscape of Australasian capital markets. I, I, I totally agree, and I think as well, given the uh, that mix of it's different in the UK. So private equity plays lower in the UK, but here certainly you're right that I think five million is is getting towards the, the lower end of what they'll do. But the demographics are, 
are pretty obvious, right? You've got a lot of businesses that are owned by essentially baby boomers who you know, will be retiring in the next few years. And, and generally those sales aren't, I need to sell the business now. But over that five or 10 year time period, a lot of these businesses will have to change hands. And I'm going to dive into uh, exit planning and baby boomers because I think that's a whole topic in, in, <laughs> in itself. Okay, so you've, you've raised the search capital, you've um, found the target company, you've uh, acquired it, you've run it, uh, you've added value to it. What's the next stage? It, it's a good question. And I think it's in many ways how I think about it to have a, a, a predetermined notion of what the the end looks like is difficult because it you know fundamentally it relies quite heavily on on the characteristics of that business and the industry it's in certainly the the investors you know do want to realize liquidity at some point and you know an exit of some sort you know there are ways and means of achieving that without actually selling the business so you could you know in 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 the US for example some of the businesses there have done Recapitalizations, where they you know, take on more debt, pay out some of the um, the shareholders, and, and continue. Um, and certainly, what is true is that the the biggest success stories in search have the longest hold periods, yeah. far more often than not. So, investors who some of them have held you know, things for for twenty twenty five years and still hold them. Which sounds like a tra- uh, transition to permanent capital rather than than a, the normal search fund model t- t- to me. Yeah, uh, speaking to one of my investors the other night, it, he said that um, really it's only after about four or five years that the searcher, who's now the CEO of the company, then starts to really add value in, in a very accretive way. So you, you, know, you buy this business, within the first couple of years you're really staying on an even keel, learning the business, and, and then you start to to become this, this all-round and, and, and well-developed CEO, and, and from year four onwards is, is when you start to make the, the changes and feel confident to make the big changes that, that can really change the outcome. And, and so you're not going to realise that in, in three to five years. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. In your case, you might extend that period of time for, heck, even a lifetime. You end up adding further businesses to your platform, to use PE speak. But yeah, yeah. Uh, um, what would a, 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 a standard searcher do in the US? Uh, they'd hold it for, on average, four or five years. I can't, I can't remember the, the, the term. And, and then they'd... Yeah, I, I, it's a good question. I don't... I can't remember the, um, the the median time to exit, um, yeah. uh, and, and probably given the the growth of search funds over the last five or ten years, the stats aren't going to be that great either, because we're still in the hold period for most of the the more recent acquisitions. What is more common in the US is the ability, I think, to refinance uh, and take out or, or return capital to investors. They may well still hold an equity stake in the upside but then there's a less um, pressure you know to achieve some some exit if you've had your capital back you've got a stake in this business you're very happy to to watch it grow for you know, any any length of time mm. um, whereas 
I think in, in other geographies that there may well be a push to to try and exit after you know, five, eight, ten years. And we don't mirror the US in Australasia, but uh, we, we, we rhyme with it, don't we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't know how we'll rhyme in the future, <laughs> but I, I, I hear you on the permanent, uh, the longer term holding of, um, of, of search funds. I, I think in the US, uh, three to seven years is the average holding period. Uh, and uh, having made improvements, whether that's at the end of the day, it's either an increase in the in the earnings and or an increase in the in the in the multiple with paydowns of 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 debt. The 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 searcher would then exit, and hopefully at a, a good IRR, perhaps even twenty eight, thirty, thirty three percent, and the and the researchers. Uh, not showing us what the variance is, uh, other than at a very summarised level. So we, we can't do a sharp ratio comparison here of, of search funds versus uh, PE funds or VC. But there, I'm sure I, if you look at the Stanford research, which we'll link to, there is a large variance that, uh, that you can see there. Okay, so talk, let's go back to the mm-hmm. uh, parameters. So, so I mean, as regards the the, the characteristics of the, the target business, that that, that's right, um, yeah, industries, etc. So, typically, there are what I would describe as hard criteria. So, size would be an obvious one, um, and, and so I'm looking for a business in the two to five million dollar EBITDA range. That's a fairly broad church. Um, but equally, they're not too small. And one of the, the risks around buying a smaller business is there isn't um, enough management capacity within the business to, to actually, you know, you end up doing everything, essentially, on your own. And there's key man risk. The owner disappears. Definitely. Um, the value disappears. That's right. And a lot of the relationships would be held by the, the exiting owner, which you don't really want. Uh, and the second reason is, it, you know, I like to describe it as it, it keeps the the wolf from the door. And if you've got earnings and stable earnings of you know two, three million dollars a year, there's a margin of safety there. Right. And really, all the characteristics that I'll go on to describe are more about margin of safety and the correlation in the, the statistics and, and the research that Stanford and, and others have done is generally with a lack of failure rather than success. So the characteristics that investors like, such as high recurring revenue, low customer concentration, um, growing industry, the correlation is stronger with not failing than it is with succeeding, which is nuanced, right? But essentially what it's saying is it keeps you in the game to get you through that period when you're learning the business. And if you can basically make it through that, then the longer hold periods are those that most often do well. Uh, what else do we have as regards to the industry? Low low capex, so high cash generation within the business. Industry margins, again, this is a margin of safety type thing, but if you've got an EBITDA margin of 20 25%, that's much healthier than five or ten percent. As regards the company itself, what you really want is we've talked about that there is management in place that you know everything's not going to fall over as soon as the owner leaves. Mm. That um, 
it's a simple business to understand. It's not if we if we have to talk about servers and things like that. I'm not comfortable doing that, and you know I wouldn't foresee me running a business where the the daily talk is about things to do with servers and widgets. <laughs> and, and that's that's not really me, but. Um, the ownership structure needs to be reasonably clean, otherwise it gets very messy um, to, to, to do the deal. It gets very expensive to do, do the deal. So I think those are the main ones. And, and really, the most important ones I'll come back to are the industry criteria. So growing industry, high cash generation, high recurring revenue, low customer concentration, those, those types of things. Some people would say that the the target business should also be reasonably simple to run. Uh-huh. Uh, if, it's, if it's too complex, whether it's from a technology point of view or a uh, industry process point of view, then the searcher and you're 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 not not a young MBA by by any means, Alex. You're you're an experienced um, uh, operator. But uh, one of the ways. One of the types of people that run search funds are, are graduates who are only two years out of an MBA school. Um, Stanford, Harvard, or INSEAD are, are the big search fund uh, uh, universities, it seems. And you're hiring a, a very enthusiastic, extremely smart person. Well, you're not hiring, you're investing into this person. And the business owner uh, is, is super experienced and knows the industry very well, but perhaps doesn't have the enthusiasm and the dare I say it, the, 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 the super smarts of the person coming into it. Uh, and so despite being in, in, incredibly smart, uh, the, the searcher still needs to very quickly understand the business. The business is too complex. They, um, it's, it's not for a, a searcher. At least that's my, my impression reading the research. Yeah, I think that's right to a point. Um, I think it's too simple. Uh, and I, I suppose I don't have hard evidence on this, but speaking to investors and, and my own observations are that anecdotally the businesses that are bought by self-funded searches, and I know we haven't talked about that yet, and, 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 and but these are people who have not raised capital and, and essentially use their own capital to, to go out and, and find something to buy. They would find generally slightly simpler businesses. The, the problem there is that it's, it's probably harder to create value if it's, if it's overly simple. Um, and these tend to be the businesses that are very cheap. So if you've got a quality business, high recurring revenue, it must be providing some value to customers that is unique to a point, and mm. therefore it ain't going to be dead simple. There's got to be something that that mm. business is doing that, that is in some way you know, complex. The intangible asset part of the business price. So people are always surprised how small tangible assets are of any of any business sale. But as you say, the value is in the intangible components behind the the business, the processes, etc. So yeah, we, we I don't think we covered that. That you have a a self funded searcher and a, a a searcher who has raised search capital. It seems I think in Australasia it's more likely to be a self funded searcher. Uh, I, I know of you and perhaps one other uh, who, is, who has raised search capital, but I, I think we should assume that uh, the, the searcher will go out to investors, get commitment for the acquisition cap, well not commitment, but, but strong interest in the acquisition capital, and, and then have to, to fund the, the, the search them, them, themselves. Okay. What, um, let's, let's go through the vesting uh, okay. process. How do you see the vesting process? 
So the, the searcher incentive is, I guess, how I'd call it. Um, so what happens is it's agreed up front as part of the model. The the incentive for the searcher or searchers, because often search funds are done as a as a pair rather than as an individual. And, and this is fairly standard, pretty pretty straightforward. An individual in the the Stanford standard search fund terms can earn up to twenty five percent. Of, of the upside that's generated. Um, so you might call it, it's similar to a carry in private equity, but it, if you buy a business for 10, keeping numbers simple, everything that you sell it for above 10, you can get 25% of. And that is um, vested over three different tranches of, of shares. The first third of the 25 is done on, on acquisition. So we do, the, we close the acquisition, and then immediately the shares of uh, 8.3% is, is, is granted straight away. Um, the middle chunk is vests over time. So typically over a four-year period, you know, month by month, you get more shares up to the, the 8.3% and 8.3% there. And then the final, the final tranche is, is performance-related. What is fairly common again is... That is done on an IRR basis of 20 to 35% the sliding scale. So if investors realize 25% uh, overall on their investment, then you get that fraction. So 5 over 15%, so a third of your allocation for that final tranche of shares. For, um, for a pair of searches, that would be 30% instead of 25%. And during that time, you're being paid a CEO or general manager salary. So that's probably market rates, if not slightly less than market rates. Well, I hope so. so. I hope yeah. it's market rates. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're not doing, uh, uh, you are getting a, 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 a salary. You're not just doing this all for free with the hope of, of just vested shares. So Alex, when you talk to other searchers, what are the things that you talk about the most? Um, so, so I think that splits into into two. Um, one is you know, established searchers who are looking for businesses. We will compare notes and talk about best practice. Um, I, I think for prospective searchers, and I do get a lot of you know, have a lot of calls with with prospective searchers who are perhaps looking to raise their own search fund. Uh, we we spend a lot of time on the industry and the characteristics that we've spoken about, but also a lot of time on on the type of search fund that they might, the route they might go down. And, and there isn't just one flavor of, 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 of search funds. You know, there are different ways you can do it. Um, so, for example, I've raised um, a fund from investors. I've raised the capital at the start. So, to an extent, have committed investors throughout the process. Others, uh, we've briefly alluded to earlier, essentially go it alone. They use their own funds. Maybe they've got a uh, you know, husband or wife who's who's working and can support them through that period while they're not earning a salary. Um, so they will use their own funds and, and potentially um, then engage investors when they're looking for acquisition capital. Um, and, and a third route, which is starting to become more common um, across the world, I think, is is the accelerator model, which is different again. So this is a bit more like a PE fund that would raise capital from investors and then they 
they look to recruit searchers and they will fund their search and then they'll have you know, arrange the investment for the follow-on, uh, for the acquisition. You know, there's no right answer to, to, to which route to go down. I think they've all got their challenges. They've all got their, their, you know, their positive aspects. But in those conversations with searchers, I think it's a very personal decision, but also a very important decision um, and typically one that they will spend their time thinking about. Related to Accelerator, uh, which is, um, uh, there, there is an Accelerator program that's, that's started up in Australia. There is the, what I call the Search Fund of Funds, which are just another investor, really. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they've taken, they've prof- professionalised the, the Search Fund Investor approach. Well, uh, there's a number of, of large ones out of the US. They've done it very well, and I understand provide uh, very good support. Uh, th- there is the issue that they require a certain size. And so uh, if you're uh, looking on the smaller side of search funds, they're, they're probably not for you. If you're looking on the larger side of search funds, and you might be coming up against private equity funds if you are, then then these guys certainly are for you, and I'd certainly uh, recommend uh, the US search fund of funds. Yeah, they're all, um, you know, I know most of them and have spoken to most of them and have one of the, the recognised international investors, uh, Relay Investments, um, as, as one of my investors. They have extensive experience, both of investing in, in search fund transactions, but also how you do a search. Uh, and I think it's quite good to have that mix of institutional and individual um, investors. Um, but you're absolutely right. They've got a dedicated fund that invests solely in, in searches and in search fund acquisitions, i.e. the you know the acquisition phase of the search fund. But there is this delicate balance then between the checks that they want to put to work in in deals and you know running up against private equity here. So there is so the reason I've chosen two to five is is that um, that range to me feels big enough at the lower end and three is probably where I want to end up but big enough at the lower end yet not so big that you run into either run into private equity or you're looking at what I'd consider a little bit of a ridiculous situation where I'm taking over a business that has 700 employees and and, and you know I'm, I'm not sure that I'm totally qualified to do that <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about you uh, so how how did you get into search funds? What, what was the journey? So I, I, I did an MBA at INSEAD. I, I, there is a course there at many of the, the business schools. They run a course on ETA, on Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition, which is a search fund course. And I was taught by a guy called Timothy Bovard, who, who he didn't actually do a search fund himself, but he, he now runs the search fund accelerator in Boston. He built up a business in France and did, did extremely well. He taught me the course. I, I thought this is a, a great model. Previously, I'd spent um, five years in, in low bid market private equity in London. So similar size of business, you know, 20 to 30 million sterling enterprise value type businesses. There we were looking to provide growth capital, but I liked working with smaller business. Never really wanted to go and you know, work for a big business. Mm. Did an MBA with a view to being more hands-on learning how to run businesses, because in private equity, it's, I'd liken it to, it's a bit like owning a football team. You sit in the stand and, and you can make more money available for new players and change the management and all this stuff, but you're not really on the pitch. 
and so I went to business school to transition to, to roles or a role that, that would bring me closer to the pitch. And I think I see the CEO as being someone who's the coach in the dugout, that he's directing the, the action on the pitch and sort of masterminds it, but doesn't necessarily score the goals, as it were. So that was the intention of going to business school and, and discovered search funds through this this course at, um, at INSEAD. Um, and then really decided that, you know, I wanted to do that at some point in the future. As far as I can tell, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the, the three headline schools that are pushing entrepreneurship through acquisition, ETA or search funds, are um, Harvard, Stanford and INSEAD. Uh, a, a New Zealander that um, I've spoken to uh, has just come out of INSEAD and, and, and got into, got very interested in search funds, and we'll see if he uh, sets one up uh, in, in New Zealand, a talented uh, young man. I don't have his permission to give you his, his, his name, but uh, he's one of many. And another person, uh, which I will give um, his name, uh, is uh, Johnson Wang, who did the Harvard ETA course. Uh, and he has set up a, a search fund searching here in Australasia, based out of Melbourne, I think. And, and so there are um, there are some strong connections there back to those schools from within New Zealand. Funny enough, I, I, I called up my, um, I did a entrepreneurship uh, master's many years ago. So I called up my old professor and said, have you heard of this? And he is a grey-haired old fellow. And he said, no, I've never heard of this. What, what the heck is it? So... Uh, even for a business academics here in New Zealand, it's a it's a uh, it's a new thing, right? So you've you've you you went through private equity, did your uh, MBA at INSEAD, uh, and and after that you said, "This is me. I'm going to come to Australia and set up a search fund." Well, or? well, not exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, just to jump in, I think uh, IEC in in Madrid. Sorry, not in Madrid, in, in Barcelona. Um, Spanish geography has let me down there. Um, they, they're quite heavily into search funds and, and they co-authored the Stanford study for the international, i.e. non-US and Canada. Right. So, so IEC in Barcelona, INSEAD, um, and then generally, yes, Harvard, Stanford, and I think um, Columbia and Booth in Chicago. Oh, Booth in Chicago, which has an excellent podcast on podcast. search funds. Yeah. I'll link to that in the, um, in the um, show notes. So, yeah, it, and, and look, it is becoming more, it's growing in popularity, um, so, but it's not surprising that people haven't heard of it, especially in this part of the world. So I, I took a job in, uh, essentially in management consulting, but really heavily hands-on operational consulting. So doing maintenance shift starts at 6am in New Zealand, actually, um, and, and uh, you know, dairy and airlines and all these things, really to, to learn what it's like to be in a business and, and what running a business looks like. And then through about a year into that, I was like, hey, I think, you know, I think Australia is actually a really great geography to do a search because the market is not saturated at all. Um, I think the demographics are very similar to the US. And, you know, I think there's, there's massive opportunity here for, for that succession, good businesses, private equity just doesn't play too, too low down in, in, the, in, in the enterprise value space. It's funny, uh, I see a parallel between uh, investment strategy where you, your home market has to be Austra- Australia and New Zealand, in the case of New Zealand investors in the, in the public stock markets through um, portfolio, uh, building up their portfolios. 
because there isn't sufficient diversification in the in the New Zealand stock markets. Um, and so you build your home portfolio, so to speak, mm-hmm. in Australia and New Zealand. It seems to me to be the same the same um, thing will apply with search funds. New Zealand isn't sufficiently big enough to do a search fund just in New Zealand. You have to include Australia, uh, or for, for the Australians listening, or just to Australia, uh, rather than um, look at a small uh, geography. And indeed, if you're looking to build out your target company, you may need to start in New Zealand and build out into, into Australia as one, one potential potential growth strategy. I did, I, mean, I did speak to someone in New Zealand and they made a very interesting point about why startups in New Zealand, the ones that are successful tend to be really successful, is you have to build the business to scale internationally because you don't have a, a choice. Yes. Your, your home market isn't big enough to support the growth that you need or that you want. Whereas in Australia, it's just about big enough. So in New Zealand, you, you've got to say, we're going international very early. Yeah. That's what Zero did, I think, and did very well. Mm. True, true. Any final thoughts? I mean, I think it's a very interesting time for for search funds in the region. There's a lot of activity. You know, yes, I raised the first funded search here, but I think a lot of that was that my timing was very good for the first time in my life. You know, I graduated in 2009 <laughs> from university. That wasn't a great time to get a job. So, I, you know, I think my timing was good. But at the same time, raising the funds really is is just about you know, building the car and getting it to the start line. You haven't actually started the race yet, and and the searching is is very much the make or break activity. So there is a um, a fairly constant pressure that goes with that. It's not a stressful pressure, but it's mm. an acknowledgement that the clock is ticking and and. You know, there's something out there that I need to find, but I don't necessarily know where it is. So it's um, there is that pressure, but I think it's a good. It focuses the mind, and that's not a bad thing. I think it's the way of the future, um, and it's been a pleasure interviewing you about search funds. I think this is the way that uh, uh, that we'll, we'll we'll build out those businesses that baby boomers are exiting through younger people taking them over in vehicles like search funds, and uh, and I think you've described search fund process really well. Thanks, Alex. Best of luck. My, my pleasure and I hope it's been, been helpful. Thank you. All opinions expressed by podcast guests and myself are solely our own opinions and do not express the opinion of anyone else. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. See you next time. Thank you.